Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. We are at uh, class five of uh, this year's 34 class review of jhana. And this is the fourth class on the Sakatakana Sutta. Um, this class is on mindfulness of the seven factors of awakening. Uh, following David's excellent class on the sixth sense base of the sixth sense media, where we really focused on Dharma practice as it happens, coming in contact with the world. And if we, if we come in contact with the world in a mind that is rooted in ignorance of four noble truths, then that will be informing and coloring that moment. Conversely, if we come in contact with the world moment by moment from a mind that's resting in the Dhamma, then this moment will be a moment of reality. And it will be an interesting and meaningful moment simply because we're present for it. So the answer to and the secret to, to life is to be present for it. Um, the seven factors of awakening um, are, they're, they're kind of like the, the uh, levels of jhana meditation. Uh, deepening levels of meditative absorption. That th these are things that are not to be grasped after, but they are to be held in mind, especially when uh, we recognize that these things are not present as part of our Dhamma practice. This is also um, a bit of an uh, ongoing primer on Dhamma practice. In other words, if one or a few of these things are not present, it means that you need to put a certain focus on your practice itself. So the Buddha's words, mindfulness of the seven factors of awakening. Remain mindful, hold in mind that mindfulness is a factor of awakening within me. So it's something that we, we possess, we own it as human beings, but we are often too confused and distracted to recognize what appropriate mindfulness is and what what are we talking about appropriate mindfulness well it's not being mindful of washing the dishes or driving a car or having a conversation those are um uh, a function of a mind that is resting in and framed by the eightfold path so being mindful in this manner rooted in jhana meditation rooted in concentration is really viewing this moment from whatever level that we have developed right view towards. And as we continue to deepen that development of right view and it becomes closer and closer um, related to reality, the less stress we'll have in our lives, right? So we may, if, if mindfulness as a factor of awakening within me is not present, how do we know that? How, do, how, how are we aware of something that's not there? Anybody want to answer that? <clears throat> Julia. Coming from a space of not feeling particularly mindful today, <laughs> maybe it has something to do with feelings and thoughts are just sort of like 
Yeah, not here, not there. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that's really a good answer. Another way of saying that is distracted or not completely yeah. present for what's, and, and if you are distracted, if you're not present for what's occurring, if you feel like you're neither here nor there, that's a sure sign that mindfulness as a factor of awakening is not present within you. So the Buddha doesn't leave us there. If mindfulness as a factor of awakening is not present, first be mindful that mindfulness as a factor of awakening is not present within me. And be mindful of how mindfulness as a factor of awakening will arise. And how is that? Through ongoing uh, engagement with Dhamma practice as taught. So again, beginning back on our cushion with jhana meditation to increase concentration so that off our cushion, moment by moment, we can hold in mind these other principles, or you could say the framework of the Eightfold Path, so as to inform this moment in wisdom rather than ignorance. Remain mindful of the culmination of, of the development of mindfulness as a factor of awakening. So the Buddha is also saying, remind, remain mindful of the development of this process because it is a process and there is a culmination. And that culmination is with awakened right view or that the, where we'll get to the, the seventh factor of awakening or equanimity. Number two, remain mindful that investigation of the Dhamma is a factor of awakening. If investigation of the Dhamma as a factor of awakening is not present, be mindful that investigation of the Dhamma is not present and be mindful of how investigation of the Dhamma as a factor of awakening will arise, again, through appropriate mindfulness, engaging with the Eightfold Path, engaging with Dhamma practice. Now, in the direct... Um, the directive to be mindful that investigation of the Dhamma is, is or is not present is pointing us to, to something that is more than just meditation, isn't it? It's not just sitting on our cushion. Investigation of the Dhamma is part of Dhamma practice, meaning what we're doing right here, coming to class, listening to the teachers, and also reading and studying what you've learned. It means listening to some of the talks or maybe all of the talks. The more that investigation of the Dhamma is present within you, the more benefit that we get out of investigation of the Dhamma. And it's just that way. There's no, um, there's no shortcuts in Dhamma practice, but it's not a long route either. Dhamma practice is right here. It's right in our face. And we can engage with it as much as we want to engage in it. But this is a, this is a mindful, uh, this is a reminder that if you're not investigating the Dhamma, you need to do that. And again, this is something that the Buddha taught 2,600 years ago because it was relevant then, right? The, the people in the original Sangha needed to be reminded to do this, even though the Buddha was teaching them, right? Because the human mind wants to go towards distraction, especially when there's a void in our life. And so we learn to fill that void up with the Eightfold Path as best as we can. And when we find that we're not, as Julia just described earlier, what do we do? We get back into it, that's all. We treat ourselves very gently without any kind of harsh judgment. Just recognize that we need to do this. 
remain mindful of the culmination of the development of investigation of the Dhamma as a factor of awakening. So again, there's also a promise here. If you keep going, you'll get to the end. Number three, remain mindful of that persistence, right? You could say that we're, we keep talking about this, but specifically remain mindful that persistence is a factor of awakening. If persistence as a factor of awakening is not present, be mindful that persistence is not present and be mindful of how persistence as a factor of awakening will arise through, again, through appropriate mindfulness or engaging in practice. So, excuse me. It might seem a little silly or trivial or almost, um, almost like a riddle, but again, if we're having trouble with our Dhamma practice, the answer is to engage in Dhamma practice and do it wholeheartedly as you can, as gently as you can, but just continue. And if you find that right now your persistence, excuse me, is not there, what do you do? I mean, really, what should you do if you find that persistence isn't there? The best thing to do is to take yourself behind a woodshed and beat yourself over the head with a two by four, slam yourself against a wall, is be very gentle and recognize, come to class, listen to a class, meditate. The Dharma practice is up to each individual to develop. And you could say in the end, we have to inspire ourselves, but we do that, we're gonna to get to a little bit more of that by first recognizing the benefits immediately. My mind is more concentrated. I'm finding that I'm more calm in my moment by moment life. And most of us realize that pretty quickly, beginning of Dhamma practice. We might even find that we're sleeping a little better. We might be more mindful of the food we eat and that type of thing. That's all a consequence, a consequence of persistence in engaging in Dhamma practice. And how we how we schedule our time is probably the, the most basic form of persistence. Right? Yeah, that's a, such a good point, right? Everybody heard what Ram said, how we schedule our time is a basic part of persistence. And that really is. If we don't schedule time for meditation to begin with, and then schedule time to come to class. If, and just since I'm talking about it, if uh, Dhamma class, what we're doing right here is seen as something that you get to when you got nothing better to do, that's likely not the best way to hold this in mind, but rather to make class, coming to class, a priority. Because when we prioritize things and something else arises, you say, no, I can't do it Tuesday night because I'm going to class. But again, this is all part of, of Dhamma practice, persistence being a part of it. And recognizing when we're not being persistent, when we're being a little bit lazy with our time. And that's not, you know, a teacher saying that. That's what we should be saying to ourselves. Can I do more? What's missing in my Dharma practice? Yes, Zach. No, I was just going to take what Ram said, you know, a step further. And, you know, not just around scheduling meditation and coming to class, but, right, going back to wise association, who, who we're scheduling time with. Yeah, there's uh, such a great is, point. What is our intention when we're about to go do X, Y, and Z? Yeah. You know, I think that's that's been so helpful for me. Yeah. Um, so. No, thank you for saying that. And that that's helpful for everyone. Um, I think, 
you know, I can't help but think, you know, what happens here? How come this person didn't keep coming, et cetera? You know, I mean, just because of where I sit, I think. And I'm not trying to find out where people are wrong or anything. It's not like that. But I think one of the difficulties is when we associate with a lot of people that just live a, a life that's contradictory to what we're doing here. And it just becomes very difficult to associate ourselves closely with people that not necessarily practicing a Dhamma, but are living in a contrary way, makes it very, very difficult just because you know, we can't help but um, we become what and who we associate with. If we associate ourselves with the Dhamma, we become the Dhamma. If we associate ourselves with um, uh, an occasional practitioner, then that's what we'll become. At some point, that might transition into a full-time practitioner. But again, what the seven factors of awakening is referring to is our practice. What are we putting into it? And it's also reminding us that we're going to get out of this what we put into it. And I, would anybody that's here argue with that point? Mm-hmm. And it's okay if you do. Would anybody say that you that you don't recognize the fruit of your efforts? Ram, are you going to say something? Yeah. Once that that step of investigation has been taken, then persistence is really the next logical thing to do. Once you recognize what the benefits are, and once you have investigated and you are recognizing what the benefits are, at that point, the only thing left to do is go at it persistently. Yeah, you're right. There's a, there's a, um, in the beginning, there's there seems to be a common, um, I don't even know what to call it, a common quality of mind, I might say, that even though you recognize the benefit of something, this is good for me, your mind is still geared towards other distractions as mind being beneficial or at least something pleasurable. Um, it might just be that you have a... Um, you recognize the benefit of Dhamma practice, but there's a there's a hobby that you lo- like, pick one, that is that you always have to do on Tuesday night, and there comes that dilemma. You know, do I do I go have fun doing this, or do I do I go have fun and practice the Dhamma? And at some point, where everybody's going to run into that, that you have to prioritize it. And, and I'm not saying that everybody's practice has to be perfect. You have to go to two classes a week and all the rest of this. No, Dharma practice is individual and it should be, and it has to be. And each of us have to decide what that means. But the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. And it's just that way. It really is a, a, what's a a zero sum game. Is that the right word to use for this? I'm going to use it. It's out there. Number four, remain mindful that joyful engagement, sometimes we call that rapture. Uh, it's an archaic word, but that's what we use it for. It's not the second coming. It's, it's joyful engagement. With the Dhamma is a factor of awakening. 
So if joyful engagement with the Dhamma as a factor of awakening is not present, be mindful that joyful engagement with the Dhamma is not present and be mindful of how joyful engagement with the Dhamma as a factor of awakening will arise. How will it arise? Anybody want to answer? You'll recognize. You all the time, now go ahead. Yeah, but you'll recognize that now, you know, in, in that persistence stage, or I see it's not a stage. We're following it, yeah. In, a, in the persistent stage, there is this kind of doggedness that you, that you have to yeah. sort of cultivate. Yeah, I would and agree. Do that long enough and see more benefits. At that point, um, there, there is that joyful part. You just keep thinking it's getting better and getting better. Yeah. Um, and more and more resistance just falls away yeah. to the point where resistance just, just evaporates. Yeah. Um, you know, there'll be back and forth in that, but um, there's part of, of uh, jhana meditation, I forget in what sutta he speaks of, um, <clears throat> The, the the lesser and the greater and lesser uh, pleasures. Yep, Brian taught uh, that a while ago. I always have to remind myself of that when I'm, <clears throat> when I'm especially when I'm in in jhana, when I'm in a bit of a you know yeah I'm persistent, but um, uh, um, I want to be. I want to be sure that I'm, I'm moving towards that jhana being a pleasurable thing. Rather than just deepening concentration. <laughs> well, no, um, it, it's a byproduct. You know, it, it primarily is, yes, it's just deepening concentration. It's really nothing else. Um, but at, at some point, um, there's, and, and actually all of practice becomes a, 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 a joyful thing. Yeah. Yeah, until we, uh, just referring back to the, to the levels of meditative absorption, joyful engagement is the beginning process. We, we become joyfully engaged by seclusion and then by noticing that our concentration is deepening. And that feeds the rest of our practice. But as we, as our, as our levels of meditative absorption continue and deepen, even that joyful engagement falls away. But that doesn't mean that it fell away and it's never to return. And I think those of us, especially probably everybody here in this room tonight, um, that joyful engagement. Um, uh, is it, it colors our entire Dhamma practice, whether it's right there in front all the time. But we want, was that, is that a true statement that I just made? Is anybody, I mean, you can say no. Joyful engagement matures as you deepen your practice. Yeah. Because initially yeah, there's that right. <laughs> continual like flashes of like, just almost like a buzz and high of, getting it 
and then it matures and it propels your practice. So that's why these seven factors really all work together because it nothing can happen without mindfulness. Yeah. Without that, then what are you what are you doing? Yeah. But the joyful engagement part just really does mature along the way. So what falls away is that initial like being so happy that you're getting it a little bit or you're able yeah. to be in you know John meditation. But then it's just like that thing that you become. And that's the persistence that you know feeds into that. So I always think of this seven factors almost like one thing that you're really in a sense, yeah. So that's what I see. Yeah, that's and I, I, I like that a joyful engagement matures, it becomes um, more of a permanent state and not something that we need to hope we can get it back or anything mm -hmm. like that. It's just, yeah, this is Dhamma practice. It's wonderful. It's a, it's a great way to live this moment in my life. And, um, that's David's talking about really the maturing of Dhamma practice through recognizing and developing appropriate mindfulness. Remember how the Buddha talked about uh, when he was you know, talking about his awakening and he said through my appropriate mindfulness, right? He was even making a distinction back then about general kind of mindfulness, which is really mindlessness. It's really almost a modern religion of mindlessness. You've got to be mindful of this and mindful of that. Well, that's not what we're talking about. It's a very refined mindfulness. And it's a mindfulness rooted in jhana meditation that holds in mind in this moment, right view as expressed through the entire eightfold path to how I'm living in this moment, how I'm living in this present moment of my life without coloring it in one way or another out of ignorance, being present, fully mature. Great discussion. Uh, let me just go back a little bit to put this in perspective, if joyful engagement with the Dhamma as a factor of awakening is not present, be mindful that joyful engagement with the Dhamma is not present and be mindful of how joyful engagement with the Dhamma as the factor of awakening will arise through appropriate mindfulness. Remain mindful of the culmination of the development of joyful engagement with the Dhamma as a factor of awakening. Five. Remain mindful that serenity is a factor of awakening. If serenity as a factor of awakening is not present, be mindful that serenity is not present and be mindful of how serenity as the factor of awakening will arise, again, through appropriate mindfulness. Remain mindful of the culmination of the development of serenity as a factor of awakening. Again, that's pointing to... Um, awakened right view or, or the, the, um, the, you could say the fourth level of, uh, of the fourth foundation of mindfulness, which is now just a present and calm abiding. Nothing changes as far as the, the, that inner calm or that inner poise that I carry from each moment to each moment. Um, this is also another reminder that if serenity in this moment isn't present, something has me agitated and, and distracted, just remain mindful of it. But that's, that's something that is indicative that you're distracted. 
you're grasping after or you're averse to something or both at the same time. But really what it means is simply that in relation to the Dhamma, not in relation to human life, but in relation to the Dhamma, you've lost your mind. And so how do we, we get that back in Dhamma practice? We take a breath and remind ourselves, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not who I am. Six, remain mindful that concentration, and it leads to just what I just said, remain mindful that concentration is a factor of awakening. If concentration as a factor of awakening is not present, be mindful that concentration is not present, and be mindful of how concentration as a factor of awakening will arise. Again, through appropriate mindfulness, in this case, it's ongoing jhana practice. Remain mindful of the culmination of the development of concentration as a factor of awakening. Number seven, remain mindful that equanimity or a balanced, calm state of mind is a factor of awakening. So it's, it's both, um, I hate to use the word, well, I hate it. I'd rather not use the word goal but of course, we're moving towards that in our jhana practice, in our dhamma practice. We're hoping through practice or intending through practice to develop that calm and peaceful mind that is unwavering. So that's what we're talking about. So remain mindful that equanimity as a factor of awakening is not present. And what does that mean? What does that mean today, right now in my dhamma practice? It means, well, tomorrow I'm going to go sit twice and listen to a couple of recordings and come to class twice a week. That's all it means. It just means continue practice. Points back to persistence, doesn't it? Remain mindful of equanimity as a factor of awakening. If equanimity as a factor of awakening is not present, be mindful that equanimity is not present and be mindful of how equanimity as a factor of awakening will arise. Again, through continued Dhamma practice and appropriate mindfulness. Remain mindful of the culmination of the development of equanimity as a factor of awakening. Then the Buddha concludes, in this way, one remains mindful of the seven factors of awakening and the arising and passing away of the seven factors of awakening, independent of and not clinging to anything in the world. What does that last mean? It means that awakening and developing these seven factors of awakening have nothing to do with worldly conditions, independent of and not clinging to anything in the world. Once I get a little bit taller, I'll practice Dhamma. You know, once I get that new job promotion, then I'm going to practice. Once I get a new house, then I'll practice. Once I get a new girlfriend or boyfriend or a new dog or a better golf score, all kinds of conditions we place on our Dharma practice. But when we, when we remember to be independent of and not cling to anything in this world, then our, our Dharma practice will have wings, right? We don't cling this to anything in the world. We don't let anything in the world get in, in the place of Dharma practice. Persistence, right? These seven factors conclude this. The Buddha concludes, this is how one remains mindful of the seven factors of awakening in and of themselves. Again, that's such an important line. In and of themselves, um, we don't color it in any way. We don't put any conditions on it. We just practice. And that's how we are moment by moment Dhamma practices too, without conditions. 
And there's no reason to put any conditions on this practice, is there? It's clearly taught and clearly explained, and we can understand it. And if not, we can ask questions, like right now. <laughs> I'm going to pick on Jane first because I know how much she loves it. Uh, thank you, John. Hello, my friend. Hello. Thank you for the teaching. Um, I'm just reminded how important that these Tuesday classes are for me. I mean, you know, that's the only permanent spot on my schedule. So <laughs> and nothing works, else is important. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Jane. Hello, Jeff. Hello, John. Hello, Sangha. Um, uh, I, I confess I'm struggling a little bit here lately uh, with my traveling and everything else. So I think if I may, I'll maintain silence. Well, yeah, thank you, Jeff. And it is whenever any external condition changes, especially when you're moving around a lot and you, you have had even more, uh, more immediate concerns than just that, it's just, it can take us away from Dhamma practice, but like, like you're doing here, Jeff, you're right back at it, you know, even though you're not even home. So this is, I would say that's a pretty good uh, Dhamma practice you have going there. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Hello, Brian. Hi, John. Thank you. Um, yeah, a couple of thoughts. Uh, have, having fun is just a pleasant distraction. My my yeah. estimation um and then the the factors it's it's a continuation of the fourth foundation of mindfulness the present quality of mind and the the, the factors are the counterweight to the hindrances and the hindrances are like a marching band in a gymnasium they're hard to <laughs> not hard to miss right and the seven factors of awakening awakening are a little more subtle yeah and so it it takes that concentration and to get get through the hindrances with that persistence and then the rest of these are just start to become a little more noticeable in your mm. you're seated or or not seated so thank you yeah that's a, yeah that, that that's a, a great make that corollary between the hindrances and this, because it is the hindrances. If um, we give into them, you'll never get to the seven factors of awakening. Conversely, the seven factors of awakening, being mindful of which one is appropriate can help you get past your hindrances as well. So, thank you, Brian. Julia. Thank you for the teaching. Um, Hi, online Sangha. I'm going to go back to the joyful engagement with the Dhamma. And David, your comment about joyful engagement maturing over time as you deepen your practice was helpful. And yeah. I'm not trying to like make marriage analogies here, but it was just so striking <laughs> to me that I feel like I'm in the honeymoon phase of joyful engagement, which is to say that like I'm in a moment in my jhana when I'm like, oh, phase two, sick, you know, or I hit phase or level three or something, and I come out of it feeling really happy and like, got it, you know, it, it's working or something. But I appreciate that perhaps it's a bit like love, where the 
more time you spend with it, the more practice you have. You just want it to always be more mature and something that's always there and not necessarily like, oh man, this feels really good today or right now. Yeah, but but and enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's here. It, it, but not too much fun. Yeah, I still go back to the, one of my favorite movies was uh, 10 by Dudley Moore. He said, fun is the best thing to have. And I keep, that's been ringing around in my head. I think it is, but as long as it's not distracting fun. But we should, I mean, you know, it, it, from where I sit now, I, you know, I, I couldn't imagine living and thinking any other way. And that, it, it's kind of, when I, when I think back to where I was, just confused and angry and frustrated and not knowing where I'm going, to having um, a pretty good, as a Buddha would use, inner poise. But, you know, this is it. You know, it's pretty damn good. Um, we should diminish that initial joy. Yeah. We see it as lesser. It's just what was. Yeah. And you can appreciate, if, with a little mindfulness, you can appreciate that. And then as it matures, you can just notice it deepen, but you don't go, oh, that old joy was wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, it was, and you should, to your point, fully enjoy it and not try to tamp it down. Yeah. Just be, you know, be mindful of it. Yeah, and let it it's continue passive. to inspire you. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's there for. You know? so, thanks, Julie. Yeah, thank you. Hello, Zach. Thank you, David. Hello. Thank you for the teaching, John. Um, I think this sutta finally helped pull back the my misunderstanding, or maybe help me understand further, the not tying worldly conditions to the development of this practice and what that really means. Mm. That last line mm. was, yeah. was structured in a way that was help me see through that, which is, which is really nice. Yeah. It's not saying we don't care about what happens out there. It's not saying that we don't engage, but we're not going to lose our minds over it because yep. it's, 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 that would not be a productive endeavor. Yeah. Um, I would like to, I like David, your comment about, you know, the maturing of joyful engagement. Brian, having fun is a, a pleasant distraction. It doesn't sound like that's a, based off of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but based off of how you said that, it doesn't seem like that's a, that's conducive to development of good, of a good practice. But what is the maturing of fun? I don't know. You know, I, the, the, the having fun as a pleasant distraction seems to me like everything is suffering, right? It's that same kind of, um, overarching statement that Buddhism sometimes gets marred with, which I, I don't believe we're practicing here, and mm -hmm. I wouldn't be here if I thought if we were, right? Yeah, we are right. experience world. So, yeah, sorry, maybe I'll just stop there and, and ask Brian for some further clarification. What do you say, I, Brian? Yeah, I would say at, at a certain point, you don't need fun to have fun. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty good uh explanation of that nothing external no 
a little understanding allows you to know that that fun is impermanent and it's arising and passing away so that mindfulness to your point allows you to be fully engaged with that fun knowing that it's not something to grasp after so again it, it absolutely puts you in a position to be fully engaged and that's way better than uh the other way around where you're mindlessly one thing after another one thing after another yeah so the 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 fun that I believe Brian is talking about, we're all talking about, is just the fun of living your life for the sake of living your life, to be present for it. And then it, it, and, um, once we have a, a little bit of an experience of that, we realize how fleeting and fruitless external condition fun is, you know, because it, 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 it is fleeting, it doesn't last. But when when the, the, the fun is generated out of just what's occurring right here, right now. And again, what could be more meaningful or interesting than this moment in my life? And, it, and the, the reason why is because I'm living it. You know, instead of living a fabrication, like, you know, once I get to the bottom of this vodka bottle, that's going to change everything for me. You know, millions and millions of bottles later, it never worked. But I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate that I have an obvious uh, distraction, but human beings fill their whole entire lives up with distraction. And even though they might be living successful, comfortable lives, they wonder why they're so miserable at the end of the day. It's because there's no meaning in their life. And I know a lot of people like that. I mean, wonderful people, people that people in my own family, I looked up to my whole life. But they never got to the point where they were living this moment in their life. Even on their deathbed, they were, you know, were looking beyond that. It's something, some kind of reward. And to me, that's just so sad, you know, now. And what is more rewarding than to actually live a life that we're here to live, Zach? I appreciate everyone's clarification. And, and I, I just think back to what was my favorite subset the retreat, which is... Can King Bimbisara be sensitive to pleasure without lifting a finger for seven days or 10 days or 40 days or, you know, whatever. And I think that's really, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. And it, of course, it's a different kind of pleasure, isn't it? But it's a kind of pleasure that we own. It doesn't cost a penny. You know, the stores never run out of it because we don't get it from a store. It's ours. Again, the Buddha refers to that as inner poise. And we're all talking about that. You know, we're all approaching it in one, uh, the gradations aren't important. We're on the path. And this tonight's class just said, be mindful of these seven factors of awakening. And when they're not present, make them present. And how do we do it? Through continued Dharma practice. So it really is, you know, as we continue with the, the Satipatthana Sutta, and we get into the, the, the closing sections, I think there's class was this, or there's two more classes, where the Buddha's, and the, the Sutta's teaching us to keep doing Dhamma practice. And if you do that, this is what you're going to get. 
and what you're going to get is awakening. You know, that's that's what the the Dhamma practices pra- promises us that we will awaken. And again, we learned on retreat and in the end of this suit and other suits is not in many lifetimes in the future, right here, right now, today. Today is the point of awakening. And if it's not today, right here, right now, it's in the next breath. And if it's not in the next breath, take a breath, don't take that personal and keep going and you'll get there. Any other questions or I could not go to the teachers yet. Uh, no I'm good. Uh, and yeah, I like these discussions about the seven factors, but <clears throat> there's something very um, uplifting about it. Yeah, it is. It's inspiring. This is, this is what you. <clears throat> this is what you can look forward to. Yeah. Or I can look backward too. Oh yeah, now it's there. Yeah. <clears throat> or it's still here. Yeah, it's yeah. This is this section is always also a touchstone on where we are in practice. Thank you, Rob. Tama teacher David. Excellent, excellent comments by everyone. Um, all right, we'll uh, we'll finish with Meta as we always do. No other questions online. All right, take a, mo- take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta, describing the quality of an awakened human being. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the sky and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, they abandon ignorance of four noble truths. 
having completed the path, they are not born again into this world. Thank you all for another wonderful class. Peace. Thank you. Thank you, John. Bye. 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 Thanks all. Yes. When you, you Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.